do that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we began looking last week at how uh, our thought life or thinking plays out in our spiritual formation process. And we explored uh, two things of thought, ideas and images, right? Ideas and images that we have in, in our thinking and our brains and how they relate to our, to our thinking and our spiritual formation process and all that. And my wife showed me this little thing from uh, a small article from May's National Geographic this week, which I wish I had had a week before, but it was sort of talks about the power of imagery. And basically it says that like, if you're feeling badly toward, toward your spouse, take your, take your spouse's picture and put it in the middle of a bunch of pictures of puppies and start looking at the puppies and your spouse at the same time, and eventually you'll start feeling together. It's a much cheaper option than counseling. So, um, but is the power the power of imagery really goes a long way? So, you know, you know, if you're having troubles at home, just sit there and look at your whatever. I, but anyway, uh, I thought that was interesting, though. It, it, it was it just sort of reinforced what we were talking about last week, and uh, we said also that spiritual battle is uh, mostly waged in our minds, and, uh, and, and thought is sort of the uh, primary way in which the evil one, and I do still believe that the evil one exists, uh, seeks to undermine God's kingdom plan in our lives. That, that, is, uh, that it is a spiritual battle that we're involved in. And that the most important uh, things in life are the ideas and the images we hold of God uh, and whether they are accurate or not makes a difference. A, a healthy image of God, we said last week, uh, defines a healthy image of self. Likewise, an unhealthy image of God defines an un- unhealthy image of self. Um, I'd also remind us, as well as we go into this today, uh, of something that we've said in the past few weeks, uh, a few sermons back, about vision, intention, and means. And we're going to talk about that again today as it comes up as we explore the last two aspects of thought which reinforce these good ideas and these good images of God, and that is the information that we take in and then our literally our ability to think. So uh, you may or may not have seen the movie Catch Me If You Can with, uh, what's, what's his name, the actor? Leonard, Leonard DiCaprio. Leonardo, Leonardo, whatever. Leonard for short, right? I, maybe. Yeah, he's... He, yeah, he's kind of like the same guy in every movie. I don't know. I'm being critical. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> he's just a pretty face. Let's, let's, let's be honest. But, um, but it's the real-life story of Frank, Frank Abagnale Jr., who uh, uh, was a con artist. His dad was a con artist. He, he became a con artist. I think it's a real-life story, if I'm not mistaken, who passed himself off as uh, uh, an airline pilot, a lawyer, and a doctor, right? And then he passed over two and a half million phony checks. Uh, so you wouldn't want Frank as your doctor, your lawyer, or your pilot because he doesn't know anything about those things. He was never trained in any of them. And he actually never even practiced any of them uh, in his life. He just kind of avoided making actual decisions. Um, but that information is fairly important when you're flying people through the sky in a commercial airliner or you're law- lawyering for them or doctoring uh, fixing them up. You want somebody that's actually trained. So information is important, right? It's very important. Um, we would usually regard, I, I'll, I'll drink this soon. I just keep playing with it, I know. Um, but we would usually regard Romans chapter 10, verse 14 
as a verse that um, only concerns non-believers, which in referring to Jesus, it says, how can they believe in the one, meaning Jesus, uh, of whom they have not heard, right? And that was mostly written with the idea of salvation of the non-believer in mind, since Paul begins the passage before this saying, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites uh, is that they may be saved. So that assumes that they're not saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And right now, in American Christian culture, we have a lot of people that are very, 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 very zealous for God, but their zeal is not at all based on knowledge. This is the pulpit you can say those things, right? But if you say that in private conversation, they'd be like, well, that's not really true. No, it is true. It is true. There is a lot of Christianity right now that is very zealous about God, but it is not at all based on knowledge. We pick and choose what we want to believe from the Scriptures. We leave the rest, right? We've got to take the full counsel of God. So realize when you read that verse that he's speaking of the people of God, right? The people of God who had apparently still needed to be saved. They still needed salvation. People who had, had uh, only perpetuated a culture of religiosity, disregarding the heart of the Word of God as they relied on humanistic tradition, right? They had built a protective hedge around the law, uh, heaping rules on top of God's Word to insulate it and protect themselves from its violation. So they, you know, the the law, the, the Word of God was buried under all this other cultural stuff that they had added to it. And that buried God's true heart and true Word under layers of ideas that were just constructed by humans. Anyone who wanted to know God from the outside coming in now had to run a gauntlet of cultural hurdles in order to just get to the heart of what God wanted to communicate to them. That was a tragedy, right? So in their pursuit of God, their pursuit of God wasn't necessarily based on knowledge of God. And in reference to that, Jesus also said to the teachers of the law, the Israelite major leaders and teachers, he said in Luke 11, 46, he says, And you experts in the law, woe to you, (laughs) because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And that's what he was talking about. You put all these rules on people. You add a bunch of stuff. Now, spiritual formation is the consistent growth of believers in the knowledge of God by the power of the Spirit being transformed into Christ-likeness. So, information is fairly important. And so, to accomplish that, a steady flow of unadulterated information is needed through the direct ingestion of God's Word in our life. It really is. So we have to, like we've said in the past, we have to think about how we think. Without right information about who God is or about what God is, our ability to think well about Him is impeded. And failure to to comprehend who God is, as we spoke of last week, is destructive not only to ourselves, but also to others and also to the world, the creation of God. We don't steward that well when we don't think rightly about God. Hosea chapter 4 says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. 
He also says a people without understanding will come to ruin. This is just a spiritual axiom, people. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's just a truth. Right? And we all know it. We are now living in a post-Christian society where if people even have a copy of the Bible, it's sitting on the top shelf gathering dust and untouched. The knowledge of God goes unengaged for the most part in our society right now. The word of life disregarded for the most part, even in church life sometimes. If, by the way, if, if I am the only uh, connection to the word of God for you throughout the week, you're doing it wrong. You need to be in the Word yourself all day, every day of the week, right? I see, I believe that we are witnessing what Hosea was speaking about, a, a people coming to ruin uh, in society right now. I do. There are a few people in my life that I go to for various things since they have knowledge that I don't have. Uh, Computer issues, I go to Rob Granholm. Rob, my computer doesn't work. Physical health, yeah, there he is. I go to Rachel Brobst or Joe Gargano or Natalie Schaefer because they're all nurses and I get free medical advice. It's kind of nice. Taxes, I go to my sister-in-law. For some reason, my sister-in-law doesn't give it to me for free, but she's bound by the law of her office that I can't get that free stuff. Anyway, she, she does give some stuff for free. But anyway, but electrical issues, I go to Moses McMenamin for plumbing. I go to Bob Gaffney. I think he's here somewhere. There he is. And uh, legal issues, I could go to Ivory Bishop, our lawyer of the crowd, right? And maybe there are other lawyers, I forget. Who? Oh, Maria. Maria Granholm. There we go. The Granholms bringing it on, right? Real estate, I go to my the pastor that actually married us, who's also a real estate guy and full-time real estate guy now, my friend Paul Clough. So if you need a house, I know the guy. Anyway, but um, if you want to know about God, where do you go? Right? If you want to know about God the Father, you go to the God the Son, Jesus, right? That's where you go. In Matthew eleven twenty-seven, he said, All things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and, to the, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus, you've got to understand, Jesus affirms and fulfills the totality of the Hebrew Scriptures, the law that He was talking about with the leadership there. And He proclaimed to that Jewish leadership, He said, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about Me, yet you, don't, you, you refuse to come to Me to have life. Jesus and the Word are inextricably linked. You can't pull them apart. They're not, it is the, he is the living Word. He embodies all of the, 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 uh, the Scriptures. Colossians 1.15 says this about Jesus. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. It's pretty important. And it tells us to know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to be directed and devoted to the Scriptures which He claimed to fulfill and to, and to His words which guide us and His life which guides us. And that's right. Amen. He's praising the Lord over there. He's, telling, he's just affirming what I'm saying. But um, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. Uh, that was his central purpose. Luke 
chapter 4, verse 43, right? And just before his arrest, Jesus prayed in John 17. He says, I have revealed you. He's praying to God the Father. And he says, I have revealed those to you, revealed you to those whom you have given me, get, whom, blah, 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 whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obe- obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. The information provided to us in the Scriptures and in the life of Christ is all sufficient, not only for salvation, but also for a life of godliness, for spiritual transformation in our lives, becoming more and more like Jesus. We remember 2 Peter 1.3, a verse that we keep bringing up during this whole process. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge, the information of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So in meeting Jesus, we meet God the Father. In, in engaging the Scriptures daily, we're drawn more deeply into God's character as we're transformed into the likeness of Christ by them. But we must think about how we think, and most people don't. Thinking is the activity of sifting out truth from falsehood based on all the information that's coming at us. Spiritual formation is like an old prospector, right? Panning for gold. He's sifting through all the lies of culture and everything else that's flying at us, letting them fall away as scriptural truth settles in the bottom of the pan. And he keeps that which is gold, right? Thinking takes information, enabling us to see it in its full orb, reshaping our false ideas and our false images of God along the way, which is really what we need. To think well is to be responsible with all of life. Martin Luther did that, right? Uh, When he presented his thoughts at the Diet of Worms in 1521, he said there, unless I am convicted by Scripture and plain reason i do not accept the authority of popes and councils by the way i i know there's if you're catholic and you're here visiting us i'm not bashing the catholic church with this but we are protestants i mean i i'm just saying this um i i just don't want you to feel uncomfortable i'm not, I'm not a catholic basher but uh authority of popes and councils for they have contradicted each other My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. And some also attribute him to saying, famously at the end of this, here I stand. I'm standing in this truth. Right? I cannot do otherwise. Which is a great quote. Love that quote. Whether he said it or not, it's a good one. Right? And what we find when we hear Martin Luther saying that, Martin Luther was saying the same thing which Jesus had said to the teachers of the law. You load people down with burdens that you can't handle or carry. Or can't hardly carry, right? And also what Paul said in the Romans, to the Romans about the Israelites, he said their zeal is not based on knowledge. People had added hurdles, and we do this too, by the way, 
added hurdles to knowing God, bearing information under rules and regulations, traditions and pageantry and power and control and all that stuff. Martin Luther was getting back to the simple message of the unadulterated word of God, basing all of his life upon it, all of his opinions upon it, reaffirming the simplicity of the gospel information and reestablishing Christ's role as Lord over the church. Martin Luther thought well, paying close attention to truth. And as follower of Jesus, Hebrews 2.1 tells us we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Since it's important to be in relationship with Jesus all the time. Right? Taking our thoughts captive to Christ, subjecting them to the scrutiny of the Word, replacing wrong ideas and images with truth of Scripture, beginning with our view of God, which leads to our view of self, which leads to our proper view of others, which leads to our proper view of all of creation. God, for some reason, has hitched His wagon to our response to all of this. Not that He's castrated Himself in His ability to intervene in the world, but... He has to some level limited himself in in working through the church, through us, and our obedience to his word. So the furtherance of God's kingdom in Bryn Mawr, in Ardmore, in you know wherever, or Syria and Lebanon, the furtherance of God's kingdom is somewhat contingent on the willingness of the church to think well, of me and you to think well. Because crooked thinking, unintentional or not, is always, always, always bent towards evil. It is always bent towards evil. It must be because it's a falsehood. Always. And crooked thinking leads to crooked actions, right? Healthy thinking leads to healthy actions. It's just an axiom to live by. Changed hearts lead to changed behaviors, which lead to changed societies. And this is why I bark about give up on changing laws. Start changing hearts for the gospel, and we will see our world change. We get, we get myopic. We, we, we stop thinking, right? God's word is absolutely, it is good for the soul. As Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. Making wise the simple. And I'm a pretty simple guy. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So what we see is to be immersed in truth leads us into extravagant worship. And I'm not talking about just singing songs on Sunday morning. I'm talking about worship across the board in every decision I make in life. How I live my life, which is my witness to the world, along with my words. God's truth ingested with an open heart captivates and fills the hearer with joy unimaginable when you you start to get into it. It's not that it's not difficult at times. It is. How often we're, however, we're often too busy and distracted to pay attention. We're led away by even the simplest of things. 
aren't we? It might be simple, but it's not always easy to live this life. We are sometimes slowly taken in by evil constructs of godly thought in our world. By the way, I, just a side note, I'm really being challenged in what I feed myself, what I feed my brain with. I'm 51 years old. I've been doing this Jesus thing for a long time. I'm a pastor. Um, but I'm not always proud of what I feed my brain with. And I'm, I'm seriously thinking about that more and more. Dallas Willard tells an all-too-familiar story of a child with her grandmother uh, in the book that we're, we're reading together. Uh, she's in the backyard making a mud puddle with her, you know, with water hose and all that stuff. And she's been told not to do this by Granny, right? But she wants to do it anyway, and she's just a little bitty girl, so she says, don't look at me, Nana, don't look at me, as she continues to make a mud puddle, which is very cute. It's very endearing, but it is indicative of our sinful nature, right? There is a real truth being portrayed there, right? When we deny God's word to us, when we deny being interactive with God, in essence, we're saying, don't look at me. What Adam said in the garden, I was naked and I was afraid, so I hid from you. Right? Don't look at me. We are looking away from God to something else when we act like that. When we allow indifference leading to sin or leading to evil to flower and grow in our life unchecked, we block the flow of divine joy and satisfaction. And many of us feel dry when we know for a fact there are things that we are doing that are in disobedience to the Word of God or in disobedience to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life, if we would surrender these things, we might find joy and happiness again. Don't look at me, Nana. (laughs) Right? Truth-telling and confession are good for the person. It's good for the soul. When, when, When a battered woman finally opens up to other people around her about her torment, she finds freedom from her tormentor, the abusive husband. When an alcoholic quits hiding and gives up the drink and follows God's prescriptions in life, they find freedom and they find health. When we submit our patterns of thinking to conform to the truth of Scripture, applying them in every detail of living through the power of the Spirit, we find our hearts are restored. Uh, Rob Schaefer and I were out there yesterday cutting on the hedge, and we were talking about this discipleship process with people, with each other. And by the way, this is off, off slides. And... Uh, we were talking about how people get overwhelmed by looking at how, big, like how far they are from the Lord. And I said, well, it's like this hedge. You let it go, and suddenly you've got like a ton of leaves and weeds and garbage in there, and, and it's all unruly. But once you trim it and clean it out, then just to maintain it is actually a lot easier, and it stays beautiful, right? And that's kind of how our life is. The bottom line is that the Word of God, even, uh, you know, or... It, Uh, uh, explored openly changes a person in only the positive as we're drawn into the glory of God's presence. C.S. Lewis once said that a young atheist can't be too careful about what he reads and must steadfastly protect his ignorance. Very, very true. Very true. 
The danger in reading and contemplating the Word of God truly is that your heart's going to be captured by Him. And that's true for the atheists. It's also true for those of us that are continually growing in Him. And we hear story after story of people that went to the Scriptures to try to disprove this Christianity thing and end up becoming a believer. Because you can't deny the Word of God. We live in a culture which, is arrogantly bo- which is arrogantly boasts of, uh, of complete freedom to fill our mind with whatever we want. There is no limitation right now in our culture as to what information or what imagery we open ourselves up to. Be it sexual or violent or horrific, whatever, what have you, what, whatever it is. We are made to feel unintelligent if we're closed to exploring or hearing or seeing anything. We're made to feel prudish or abnormal if we're, not restra- if, if we're restrained at all in how, what we allow access to our brains. But we must remember that in that culture that we have right now, which is a very Corinthian culture if you think about it, nothing enters which does not have its intended effect. You're not that strong to fight it off. None of us are. We need to ask the Lord for a deep, powerful, and joyous conviction in this. Not like a worm like, oh, no, a a joyous conviction. Lord, I want to walk with you. Right? There's a difference there. Not just to arrogantly or piously stand higher than all the other people around us, right? But to do so out of a real humility of need. Out of a realization that we need the Lord. Out of a conviction for the glory of Christ. Out of, out of the betterment of self. And out of the, the elevation of our fellow human beings. And of care of the world. It starts with us. If I get changed by Jesus, man, I make a better world all around me. We can't choose conditions and deny their consequences. Right? You can't play with a tiger and not expect to get clawed. Right? Can't play with fire and not expect to get burned. The power to choose our thoughts is a basic freedom and one with which we must live well in or choose to, choose to pursue well. Let's remember Paul's words in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Was the movie you watched last night that praiseworthy? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> right? Now, you can take that too far and become like a hermit and all that kind of stuff. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about, man, are we walking with Jesus or not? Right? Since the images and the information we feed our minds with work at a subconscious level to undermine the very fabric of ourself. Right? The imagery doesn't operate on a a rational, uh, under rational control at all. It's got a hold of us. Negative imagery undoes us slowly and deliberately. Even without our knowing it, it's like gaining weight over a long period of time. You don't see the ounces being added to your belly. And then suddenly one day you you wake up and you're morbidly obese and you're like, oh my gosh, what happened to me? 
right? It happens like that. What we're talking about is having a vision, right? A vision for feeding ourselves and thinking well. And we may equate that with David's call in Psalm 51. He said, create in me a pure heart, as he cried out to the Lord, right? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. That's a great breath prayer, by the way. Breathe in, create in me a pure heart. Breathe out and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Just do that all day long. Your life will change. Um, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Right? That's the vision. Now, the intention is 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage world as, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Whatever in our culture is telling us one thing that's not of the Word of God, we set ourselves against that pretension. Right? That's the, that's the intention. So vision must fuel intention, if you remember from a few weeks back. God has empowered us by the Spirit of God and will provide the grace for us to walk this out, but He will not do it for us. He will not do it for us. We must walk with Him. We must respond with obedience. And that is not legalism. That's obedience, Right? Which brings us to the means. The, dis- the disciplines, uh, the means are the disciplines which, which uh, are within our control to put us in a position to receive what's beyond our control. Right? Receive what we need which is beyond our control, right? God can do a spiritual house cleaning in me. I can't. And in, in order for that to happen, we need to always put ourselves in the receiving position. Romans 12, 1 and 2 and other, other passages, right? And our first tool, and it's a very simple tool, or a tool or discipline or means, is Scripture memorization. If you've ever talked to anybody can recite Scripture from memory, they, they usually are people that are living in wisdom, Right? As Psalm 1, 1 through 3 states, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that, uh, that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. In other words, doesn't just follow along with the culture. Right? Isn't it funny how to be different is to be the same as everybody else these days? Right? It's no longer different. But, the, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on this law, on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Right? Even in a drought, they survive. Psalm 119.11 I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will, be, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. We can memorize single verses, many of us have, or we could tackle whole passages. I had a friend who had memorized the whole book of Hebrews. Try that one. Woo! 
And if you say you can't memorize like that, I would ask you, do you know the lyrics of your favorite song? You probably do. And if you can memorize that, then you can memorize Scripture. So don't give me that. You know? You, oh, by the way, my friend, we were in Thailand once, and the, the word for thank you was kam kum krap. And so we were, at, we were bargaining at a store, and he wasn't getting the price that he wanted. He goes, ah, don't give me any of that kam kum krap. Like that. I just, it just came to mind. Sorry, that has nothing to do with what I'm, what I'm saying up here, but it was funny. <laughs> but if you say you can't, you, you can. You can. You can memorize Scripture, even in large portions, you know? Um, some good passages to tackle are Romans 5, 1 through 8. Romans 8, 1 through 15, second, or 1 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, my favorite. Uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, another favorite. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, those are great passages. There's plenty of others, obviously, but those are some good ones. And doing, memorizing Scripture allows the light of God to shine in your thinking at all times because you're thinking about it over and over again. And you'll be amazed as how the Holy Spirit brings it up when you're facing things throughout your day, right? And as a result, the darkness is naturally dispelled. If you open the door on a dark room and there's a light on in the hallway, does the darkness overtake the light or does the light overtake the darkness? The light overtakes the darkness. That's what it happens, right? We displace the garbage in our lives with the light of truth. So, secondly, outside of Scripture memorization, get in the habit of having a basic quiet time. Christianity 101, I know, but many of us are not practicing this, right? Take at least 15 minutes a day every morning, and it, I think it should be in the morning where you get up and you start your day with Jesus, baby. You, you start the day knowing who you are and where you're going, right? And, and you, you spend that time with the Lord. Open your Bible. Actually, uh, mine's sitting right there. Just open it up. Right? Physical Bibles actually are better, I think. You can highlight them. You, you get your personality in there. You know, like you scribble in it and stuff. And it's there, man. And by the way, it's really cool when you have a Bible that you've marked up. Because then, you can, when somebody asks you about Jesus, you can easily go back and you, you know what you, you, you scribbled. It's a good thing. Get away from the phone. It doesn't really work. Right? I mean, it's good, okay, sometimes. But get a, get a physical Bible. Get one you like that has a cool cover on it. Start to scribble on that thing and highlight and find... Anyway, I'm going off. But pray the Holy Spirit will guide your time in that, right? In that, that time. Using the principle, the basic principle of observation, interpretation, and application, begin by reading a short passage, slowly reading through it, allowing the Holy Spirit to pinpoint words and phrases and ideas that stick out to you, and then highlight those. And then read it again, slowly, observing what's going on in and around the passage, before and after it, asking yourself, why was it written? Who wrote it? To, who, to whom was it written? Under what circumstances was it written? All that kind of stuff. And if you can't get those answers, ask me and I'll help you. Read it through a third time then, slowly again, asking the Spirit to interpret, it, to interpret its meaning for you right now. Right? And then finally, ask the Holy Spirit to apply that passage to your life. How does it make a difference to you right now? How does it inform your life right now? And journal your thoughts. Write them out. Date them. Keep them. You know? Go back to them. See how God answered your prayers. Right? Thirdly, at the end of your day, I think it's a good practice to reread your passage from the morning, your journal, and review your day prayerfully with the Holy Spirit. 
Ask Him to interpret all the experiences that you've had, the conversations you've had, the events of your day. Write all of those out in your, in your journal as well and, and close with a prayer of thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord for what He's doing in your life. And then fourthly, find others who are, who are walking this out and spend time with them. Pursue discipleship relationships. It doesn't have to be some big formal thing. It could just be a good buddy that you, really challenges you and you challenge him or her, right? Observe them. Share with them. Imitate them, right? If they're walking with the Lord, well, do that. What are their practices? How do they live? Seek their counsel, right? Call them if you're having an issue in your life. Get them to pray for you. You know, I watch Kathleen, uh, who's sitting right there with the blue shirt. Uh, I watch Kathleen as she wanders around this room and she, she talks to people and she prays over people. Ladies, grab that, that woman. Pick her brain. Pick her heart apart, right? That's a great witness. Get together with somebody like that who really wants to walk with the Lord and, and do that, Right? And by the way, some of those people that you're picking the brain on, you may not even know, or they could be even dead. And that's okay, right? We can learn a lot from the stories and the writings of certain people who have walked in the faith well and they are gone and, you know, pushing up daisies someplace, right? My, my wife's reading the diaries of Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life right now, and she is vastly encouraged by his thoughts and his his life, and she comments on, on his passion and his devotion and his thinking uh, a lot about uh, how that informs her faith. Some of us have been reading through Dallas Willard's book, you know, Renovation of the Heart, which uh, have, has been really helpful for a lot of us. Uh, Rob and I have been talking through that. I talked about it with Joe as well quite a bit. Some of us are using that study uh, companion to that book uh, as a daily devotional. It's like one-page devotionals. Uh, that's been really helpful for a lot of you. Someone just told me that they've picked up um, Sacred Romance by John Eldridge and they're rereading that and they're, they're really being challenged and enjoying the thoughts uh, uh, from him on the Christian life. What do these people think on? How do they spend their time? How have they lived their life? Those are great things to, to get, in, get into. I mean, you could read trash novels your whole life and never like be challenged by anything wonderful, right? The danger is, though, that some of the writers out there, and I, as pastor, I have to say this, a little fatherly advice here. You know, some of those people out there that are writing or their speakers sound so wonderful. And I'll just say one of them. Joel Osteen, I, he's probably a really nice guy, but I do not take his teaching for an ounce of it. Not an ounce, Right? That's what I'm talking about. Sounds so wonderful. But they are not writing out of this accepted Christian tradition which adheres to the word of the Lord. You don't want to get yourself in the habit of replacing lies with other lies. That's not what we want. Even if those lies sound, those lies sound better than the other lies. So it's good to ask yourself and good to ask other people, who, who are the good writers out there spend your, you know, that you can spend your valuable time reading or listening to? People like Timothy Keller and C.S. Lewis and Francis Schaeffer and Nancy Piercy I'm reading right now, A.W. Tozer, uh, Francis Chan, G.K. Chesterton, Henry Nouwen, Watchman Nee was a great little book I read by him, John Piper, although John gets a little bit wacky in the whole egalitarian argument. Um, his book... Uh, 
Let the Nations Be Glad is phenomenal. He's got some other great phenomenal books out there. Philip Yancey is a wonderful writer. Love him. Uh, th- those are just a few. You know, there's, there are plenty of others. Um, but let's remember, though, that their words, all those people, right, thou, they, their, their words are an interpretation of Scripture. They are not Scripture themselves. So we should never get up, give up on reading the Bible first and foremost and immersing ourselves in it. And if you need some direction doing that, you know, uh, maybe grab this book. I have a few copies up here. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. I'm sure that Rob Schaefer will probably want this. He's, he asked me that question. How do you read the Bible? I just said read it. But um, this, they, they, this guy wrote a whole book on it, right? But um, how do you read the Bible for all it's worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart? And, and it's just a good little handbook about how to read the scriptures, right? You know? um, and if anybody wants that, it's right here, you know. You can come up and take it. You can steal it from me and it won't be stealing. So, say all that to say that there are some practical tools in our pursuit to think well about how we think, right? To how, how we pursue good ideas, how we pursue good images, how we pursue good information and leads us into a deeper uh, life uh, with Christ and into His likeness. So, amen? Amen. Woo! Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are active in our life, that you've been active in history, that you've been active in the stories and the lives of many people out there uh, who have walked with you well. And we have a great cloud of witnesses uh, around us, above us, below us, behind us, before us, and to our sides. And we have your word that is solid and unchanging. We have your character that is solid and and unchanging. And we praise you, Lord, that you are here with us this morning. 